An endorsement, a non-endorsement, name-calling, booze, cheers, and media bashing. President Donald Trump comes to Nashville. This is Grand Divisions, a political podcast from the Tennessean. I'm Dave Boucher, investigative reporter. And I'm Joel Ebert, statehouse and political reporter. This week, we'll delve into President Trump's visit to Nashville and the impact that it has or will have on the race for U.S. Senate and the race to become the next governor of Tennessee. But as this is our inaugural podcast, we first wanted to introduce listeners to everyone who's actually running in those races. Again, these are big races that will define the leadership of Tennessee moving forward. First, we're going to touch on the candidates running to become Tennessee's next governor. Yeah, there's a a whole host of candidates. We've winnowed it down to a a handful in the top tier level, though. On the Republican side, we've got U.S. Rep. Diane Black, who has been in Congress for, for a number of years. We've got House Speaker Beth Harwell. She's, of course, not running for re-election, and this is kind of her swan song here. We've also got uh, Knoxville entrepreneur Randy Boyd, who is the former ECD commissioner, and we've got Williamson County businessman Bill Lee. On the Democratic side, we've got two main contenders. There are some other people in each race, but the top two contenders on the Democrat side, a longtime House minority leader, uh, was with the majority when they had it, Craig Fitzhugh. Um, he, like Harwell, is not running for re-election, and so hoping that you know this ends up successful for him. We've also got former Nashville Mayor Carl Dean on the Democratic side. And I'd say, Joel, right now on the, the Republican side, the field is, is kind of open. I think uh, spectators might say that either Diane Black or maybe Randy Boyd are some of the leading contenders, but at any moment... Bill Lee could surge, and it's it's tough to dismiss Harwell, the speaker, who's one of the longest-serving state lawmakers in the state ever for Tennessee. Yeah, I think right now the race is wide open. Polling has indicated that. I, I mean, internal polls, if you look at each campaign, suggest otherwise, but for the most part, candidates have yet to really sell themselves wholly on on voters. You know, we've seen Vanderbilt's latest poll say that it, it's still wide open on both sides. On the Democratic side, I would think that most people would say that former Mayor Dean is the man to beat. Uh, we did recently see uh, some House Democrats, the Black Caucus, come out and endorse Craig, Craig Fitzhugh. Fitzhugh. Yeah, which is helpful for him. But, you know, I mean, naturally, his colleagues in the House are going to support him. One would think. One would think that would help his chances. I Although agree. that hasn't been the case with, with Speaker Harwell. That's she true. has not gotten as much support, I think, as she would like from State House members, at least on the Republican side. It's- with some people going to Randy Boyd. That's right. And it still, though, on the Democratic side, I would say it's a uphill battle for, for, for Craig Fitzhugh. Fitzhugh's name recognition is very low in most polling, and he does have a significant uphill battle, especially in, in the money race. In the U.S. Senate race, the fields are essentially set. On the Republican side, we have U.S. Rep. Marsha Blackburn. She was, back in the day, she was a fashion consultant and a model, but she served in the state legislature for a while and has been in Congress for, for quite some time. Uh, on the Democratic side, we have Phil Bredesen. He was uh, the two-term mayor of Nashville. He was the two-term governor uh, for the state of Tennessee. and he, Last Democrat to win statewide election here in that's Tennessee. A, that's exactly right. In his last election, he won all 95 counties, which seems almost impossible now for a Democrat to do that. They, they both face nominal opposition in, in the primary, but are expected to to push forward into the job. Everybody's treating them as if they're the de facto nominees at this point. So for the first time in years, there is a contested uh, Senate race, an open seat to replace Bob Corker, who's retiring. And it's a race that 
Democrats, both locally and nationally, think they could actually win. Yeah, and and you know, I mean, Tennessee has never really been in play, at least in the last handful of years, in terms of the Senate. With that, it, it, when Corker got in there, it seemed like the the seat was always going to stay red, you know. But now that you have a lot of the blue wave that some people have seen going in other states, you've got a win like Doug Jones. People are getting hopeful on on the national level and also the state level. Uh, you know, local Democrats. Uh, the state house has tried to have uh, more candidates that are Democrats in any other year than anybody can really remember. Uh, and you see a very competitive and they hope that the, the governor's race is going to, to be close for them. Uh, so Democrats are energized this year, I, I think nationally and in Tennessee as well. Marsha Blackburn and her campaign want to nip that in the bud. Uh, there was a little bit of contention when she got in the race and then Corker maybe thought about getting back in and then maybe didn't. And the president kind of weighed in. All throughout this, the president was fighting with little Bob Corker, and then he wasn't <laughs> fighting with little Bob. At this point, though, he is clearly in the camp of Marsha Blackburn. He came into town recently uh, to uh, help. Uh, just to correct yourself, I, I'm making sure we're not talking about Corker here, because uh, there's a little muddy water with that. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, th- that's, that's the a good point. That's a good about. point. Uh, the, the, the president is definitely in, in Marsha's camp. Bob Corker has said that he's not going to campaign against his friend, <laughs> Phil Bredesen, but he was at this rally in Nashville recently. And has given money to Marsha, I guess, suggesting that he is backing her. And so one of our colleagues, Jordan Bowie, a statehouse and political reporter here for the Tennessean, went to the recent rally in Nashville to talk to the people who were attending to see what their thoughts were on Marsha Blackburn and why it was relevant and important for the president to come into town. They lined up outside the municipal auditorium in Nashville by the hundreds last Tuesday braving the rain, wearing Make America Great Again t-shirts, and carrying signs supporting President Donald Trump. But many who would attend the president's rally said they also realized the reason why Trump came to Tennessee was to bring the big guns to a critical U.S. Senate race. It's basically because this is probably the pivotal election for the U.S. Senate because uh, the Republicans have a 51-49 majority now. In addition to the rally, Trump visited Music City his third trip since taking office last year to headline a fundraiser for U.S. Rep. Marsha Blackburn. Blackburn is in a tight contest against former Democratic Governor Phil Bredesen to replace retiring Senator Bob Corker. Polls have shown a close contest between the two in the state where Trump overwhelmingly won in 2016. Republicans in the U.S. Senate have come to see Tennessee as a battleground state to keep their majority. Trump's visit was likely intended to solidify Blackburn's support among Republicans who voted for him. But Trump's supporters at the rally said the risk another Democrat in the Senate poses to the president's agenda is too much to chance, even if they like Bredesen. Well, first of all, I like Phil Bredesen. He's a good guy, but he is not going to support Trump. Marsha is. It's proven already, and, you know, we can't put somebody in just because we like them. we got to put somebody in that's going to help our president do what he set out to do. Once in the rally, President Donald Trump veered through a series of controversial topics. Sometimes he called for Republicans to send Blackburn to the Senate, and other times he poked fun at Bredesen. So Marsha's very liberal Democrat opponent, Phil Bredesen. I've never heard of this guy. He's an absolute, total tool. After the attacks, a spokeswoman for Bredesen's campaign said when he wins, he will vote in the best interest of Tennesseans. Quote, Governor Bredesen has made it clear that if President Trump proposes something that's good for Tennessee, then he'll support it, said Bredesen spokeswoman Alyssa Hansen. 
Quote, bottom line, Phil Bredesen is an independent thinker with a proven record of working with Democrats and Republicans. End quote. That's our look at News of the Week. I'm Jordan Bowie with USA Today Network, Tennessee. Fired up crowd there at the Trump rally. Attendance down a little bit from the last Trump rally in Nashville. But clearly the president came to not only support Marsha Blackburn, but to take some shots at Phil Bredesen. Here to chat and talk about that with us is John Gear, a Vanderbilt professor and co-director of the Vanderbilt Poll. John, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Oh, happy to be here. So uh, what are some of your initial takeaways from this rally and specifically from the president coming down and taking some shots at Phil Bredesen? Well, there's a variety of different takeaways. One is that uh, Marsha Blackburn's going to run somewhat of a national campaign where she's basically going to hug Trump and think that may carry her to uh, the Senate, and perhaps it, perhaps it will. Um, I also think that it underscores the seriousness with which the Republicans are taking Phil Bredesen's challenge. And, of course, all the comments that the president made about Phil Bredesen and being a tool, et cetera, was certainly undermined by the release of the tape where a few hours earlier he talked about how tough Phil Bredesen would be. And certainly all the data we have suggests that it's going to be a, a tough battle and he may well be our next senator. I mean, this seems like it's got to be a, a major play, though, for both the National Party and for Marsha right now to bring in uh, the president this early in the race. It, it wouldn't shock me. Would it shock you if, if the president came back before the November election? Oh, he'll. I would be surprised if he doesn't come back. Um, because this is going to be uh, one of the battleground states in all likelihood. And it's possible that the Senate might, you know, become Democratic majority if, in fact, Bredesen wins this race. So, And this is a strategy of hers, which is interesting because it's, it's trying to nationalize the race, kind of like a referendum on Trump, where Bredesen's going to be, look— I'm not going to. I'm going to be pro-Trump. I'm going to be anti-Trump, but I'm going to be about Tennessee. Well, and and so much so that his folks and he has said we're not expecting to be in the majority. They, they do not see the national implications of this, or at least you know out loud they say they don't. They they expect to be the minority. And I think to to, to your point earlier, John, I think that the Bredesen camp might like it that the president said, "Who is Phil Bredesen? I've never heard of this guy." I think they don't want him to talk about him. They they want him to ignore. Uh, they want the president to ignore that that Phil's in the race. And as you've seen in his TV commercials, he's said, I'm not running against Trump. I'm running to to vote for the right thing for, for Tennessee. Mm -hmm. John, in your, in your most recent Vanderbilt poll, which came out in, in early May, you looked at, among many other things, the, the favorability and name recognition for both Marsha Blackburn and Phil Bredesen. How do you think the president coming to Nashville uh, helps Marsha just in pure name ID? I don't think it is going to help a lot on name ID. First of all, both the former governor and a um, member of Congress, Marsh Blackburn, are pretty well known. Mm. I mean, they we're talking about 85 percent and that you could, you know, you get that up over 90 or whatever. But that's going to happen anyways. I don't think it affects name ID. What they're trying to do is that Phil Bredesen has a lot more favorability than Marsha Blackburn. It's a dramatic difference. And even among Republicans and even among conservatives, Phil Bredesen has real support. So what the president's visit is trying to do and Marsha Blackburn wants to accomplish is find a way to get those partisans, those ideological partisans, so to speak, to come home. Because right now they're comfortable with Bredesen. 
And that's the big worry. Can she bring them home? Do you anticipate, uh, I mean, obviously, Marsha's negatives in that poll were higher than Bredesen's. Do you anticipate any change on Bredesen's negatives? Will they go up as people become more familiar with them? They could go up a little bit. But one of the things that the former governor has is a is a reservoir of support. People know who he is. Mm -hmm. One of the things about that poll that's interesting is that if you take a look at just the don't knows among the people who actually claim they know the name, Marsha Blackburn's numbers are higher than Bredesen's. Even though he's not been in the public eye for about a decade, only about 7% of the people who recognize the name said they didn't have an opinion about uh, the former governor, whereas it's about 13% for Marsha Blackburn. So there's actually some opportunity, I think a greater opportunity for Bredesen to define Blackburn than there is for Blackburn to define uh, Bredesen. Um, and so that'll be a really interesting dynamic. And you can be sure that the Bredesen people are aware of all these kinds of dynamics because obviously the governor is highly intelligent, but he also is going to make data-driven decisions. And they, you know, this poll, I doubt this poll was news to them at all. Sure. It, so here's the part that I don't understand about this, about this, the Blackburn strategy here. I don't see somebody who has a favorable opinion of Phil Bredesen now being a voter who makes their decisions solely on what the president says. That doesn't seem like that computes to me. So I don't understand what voter is out there and says, Phil Bredesen might be a good guy, but now that the president says he's liberal, I don't like him. I don't, I don't see the overlap there. I'm not sure that it works. I mean, it could work for a candidate who is less defined, but Phil Bredesen's pretty well defined. And actually, in a surprising way, I mean, he, has, he obviously was governor about eight years ago. And so he's been, you know, but we're talking about a decade, yet there's still the strong you know, strong connection for, for the former governor. And I think it's a big problem for Blackburn. And Trump's early visit here underscores that, that this could be a state that falls to the, to the Democrats. Not one you'd expect, but Bredesen puts it in play. So I wanted to, to turn to the, the governor's race. Obviously, that kind of was a backdrop issue when the, the president was here. And, uh, you know, he came out and said, Diane, you're in a tough race, referring to Diane Black, uh, another congressman running for, for the GOP nomination. Uh, how do you think the president's role play or, or, or how candidates are using the president in this race is playing out right now? Well, it's really interesting to see on the Republican gubernatorial side there. It's really you know, they're all tacking to the right. And they're all trying to do well among Republican primary voters. You know, Diane Black is, has good favorable numbers, according to our poll, at least among Republicans. But if you look among independents, uh, her numbers really struggle. And across the entire state, she has real favorability problems. And her numbers are even more baked in, so to speak, than Marsha Blackburn's. And somebody who's coming on, frankly, is Randy Boyd. Now, at the same time, you could imagine a scenario where maybe a Bill Lee suddenly surges, especially if if. Black and Boyd start to attack each other. But the race is very fluid at this point in time. And you wouldn't even, you, nobody should rule out our speaker either. So, so perhaps surprisingly, Randy Boyd, who served in the Haslam administration and who has been tagged, whether or not he wants it, with being potentially a Haslam 2.0, has come out in, his, in, in a most recent ad and, and, and said, I'm essentially Donald Trump. I'm the, the business guy. He's, he's put that out there. The black campaign. Except I just don't tweet so much. He doesn't. He I, I don't tweet so much. I don't tweet so <laughs> Which much. Which is actually a pretty good line. Which is, well, he, he doesn't. That's that's true. The black campaign has also, uh, you know, has splashed across their website that Donald Trump supports Diane. It's not an endorsement that they're talking about. It's talking about support for her help on, on tax reform and on the budget bill and on, on other congressional issues. At this point, since those two have kind of put this out here already, if the president endorses and 
God only knows if he will. Political wisdom says the president doesn't get involved in a but primary. He, but, but he has in Michigan, Florida. Yeah, and there's no wisdom when it comes works. to this current president. <laughs> works. I mean, conventional wisdom. He just sure. he does what he wants. But if, if both of these candidates are already painting themselves as the Trump-aligned candidate in the state, and they have a big ad buy or potential ad buy behind it, would an endorsement matter that much? How much, how much impact would an endorsement in the race actually have? Oh, I think if Trump came out and, and favored one candidate really strongly, I think that would make a, a big difference. Because if if Boyd's trying to claim he's really, you know, has strong Trump loyalties and adherence, and all of a sudden Trump comes in and, and hugs Diane Black, so to speak, that's going to hurt his hurt his message. But I'm, I'm not sure that we don't know whether Trump will do that. One of the interesting dynamics is that imagine if Black gets the nomination, which is totally plausible. Obviously, Marsha Blackburn will as well. So there'll be two suitors for Trump's love mm -hmm. in the state. And it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out because it's not, you know, Trump will, you know, come and visit maybe even on behalf of both candidates conceivably, but inevitably there'll be kind of comparisons. And uh, that'll be an interesting, an interesting dynamic. I do think given the polling numbers that black faces a question that Boyd doesn't face. Black has high unfavorables, Carl Dean's a credible candidate. He continues to do better. He could be our next governor if Black is the nominee. And because of her high unfavorabilities, and that Carl Dean will be able to play off on that. So there's, for a lot of Republicans, they've got to think strategically. One thing before we kind of wrap up here, I wanted to ask you, when I hear from people that criticize the Vanderbilt poll, they immediately point to how you guys were wrong with the presidential election in 16. Uh, oh. They say that you guys had, you know, just completely wrong numbers from the end result. What do you say to that criticism I'm, that you guys, I think, said was closer than what it actually ended up being? Yeah, I'd have to look at the exact numbers. I mean, the, re the realities are that we have never touted ourselves as trying to predict elections. And sure. certainly in this particular poll, as evidence of our continuing pattern here, we didn't do horse race. Sure. Because it was going to be fundamentally unfair to do a horse race on the Republican side for, for uh, governor. Because you had four credible candidates. And right now, if you did a, a horse race, Bill Lee looks like he's going to be in terrible shape mm -hmm. because his name recognition is so low. But I don't think that's going to be a sign that he's necessarily out of the race. Mm -hmm. So really, the Vanderbilt poll is not about predicting elections. Nobody for a second thought that Trump was going to lose this state in 2016. Certainly, I didn't need a poll, frankly, to tell anybody that. You can always complain about the poll, but the realities are that it's got enough credibility because we work at being nonpartisan. When, when's the next poll come out? Well, we are definitely going to do one once the probably November after the election before the start of the legislative season. We may do one in September. All the information from the last Vanderbilt poll is available at Tennessean.com and also at the Vanderbilt website. John, thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your help and your analysis. Anytime. Happy to be here and uh, appreciate the opportunity. Hey listeners, this is Fact and Fact Check, a segment of the show where we offer both facts about Tennessee politics and check out questionable statements and figures tossed around in the political arena. This week, for our introductory episode, we've chosen for our fact to elaborate on the name of our podcast, Grand Divisions. Tennessee's Grand Divisions are still widely referenced, as the regions of West, Middle, and East Tennessee feature very distinct geographical and cultural differences, but at one time, some saw these divisions as more than just figurative. As a matter of fact, Winfield Dunn, Tennessee's 43rd governor, made it a priority to change the language of the signs greeting motorists into the state. The signs previously said, Welcome to the three states of Tennessee. Dunn had this language changed to, 
Welcome to the great state of Tennessee, as it seemed a more unified greeting. That's our fact for the episode. Now on to our fact check. Following his rally in Nashville Tuesday, President Trump took to Twitter the next day to call out a low estimate of attendance. The New York Times originally reported that about 1,000 people came to the rally, a number that quickly drew the ire of the president on social media. In his tweet, the president said the audience at the rally was, quote, many times that number, and, quote, they are very dishonest people who don't get me and never did. The article was later updated to reflect the actual size of the crowd, which officials said contained 5,500 people. The USA Today Network Tennessee confirmed this total with fire officials Wednesday. That's our fact and fact check for this week. Check back on our next episode for another segment. Taking a look ahead this week, Republicans meet Friday for their largest annual fundraiser, the Statesman's Dinner. It's Friday afternoon at Gaylord Opryland. Reception begins at 4.30. Dinner and program begin at 6.30. The keynote speaker this year is U.S. House Majority Whip Steve Scalise. He's a Louisiana Republican. I think a lot of people know him from a shooting that happened actually a year ago this month. It was at a practice for a congressional baseball game, and he was severely injured after a gunman came in and attacked members of Congress who were on the field. Another member of Congress who is actually there is Chuck Fleischman. He's a East Tennessee Republican. He's the quote-unquote chairman for the dinner. So he's kind of like the MC and leader for the event. Again, this is the party's biggest annual fundraiser. They bring in these national names, anticipate having every major political candidate for every office that a Republican could run for in the state of Tennessee at this actual event. Last year's event was when uh, Mike Pence, the vice president, came, and obviously that was a huge event for the party. They couldn't really top that unless, you know, the president came. Uh, But this year, it's going to be more politicking again. Last year, we saw all the gubernatorial candidates really kind of getting early, you know, start on their races. This year, everybody's going to be in full force, so there's going to be signs I've been told all the gubernatorial candidates are getting a couple of minutes to speak. I believe Marsha Blackburn will also be speaking. Uh, It's going to be, you know, the usual pomp and circumstance, and I think it's going to be a a late but for Republicans exciting night. Yeah, Republican events have been good to to Opryland recently. That's where the Marsha had her private fundraiser with the the president recently, and now they're going to have this big fundraiser coming up this week. Also coming up is uh, going to be June 16th. The Democrats are going to hold their three-star, their annual fundraiser. This time it's going to be in a different location. Normally they have it in Nashville, uh, but this time it's going to be in Lebanon. I think the point of that is to suggest that, again, Democrats aren't just in the large cities of Tennessee. They are going to want to attract people in the more rural and outer area of downtown Nashville area. Their keynote speaker is going to be Doug Jones, of course, of Alabama, the new uh, U.S. senator who won in a a closely watched race involving, uh, of course, Luther Strange. Luther Roy Strange Moore. was the yeah, yeah Roy Moore, but Luther Strange was the seat that was uh, he previously held the seat, and Roy Moore, of course, uh, squared off against Jones. So both fundraisers and dinners play a major role for both parties. Uh, so they should be excited to pump their bases. Last but certainly not least, we're going to remind you every week when the primary election is and when the general election is. The primary is August 2nd. The last day to register for the primary is July 3rd. Early voting starts July 13th. The general election is November 6th. That does it for this week's episode of Grand Divisions. I'm Dave Boucher, investigative reporter. And I'm Joel Ebert. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.